Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles in front of you, that can be found on page 1021. 1021. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. It says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, thank you again for being with us. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, we are mindful of the wonderful opportunity that we have to come and worship God together uh, twice every Sunday. And we're thankful for that opportunity. And if you've been a guest in recent times on Sunday evening, you know that the auditorium has been very, very full. And we're fearful that that has maybe encouraged some to think about not coming back. And we just want you to know that beginning the first Sunday evening in September, uh, that we will have a simulcast service taking place, which means there'll be more seats available in the auditorium. And we hope that uh, that would encourage you to come back and join us again at the evening services. And for all of our members, uh, there'll be opportunities in your Bible classes for you to sign up for a monthly rotation uh, on that. And we are thankful that we have the opportunity to worship God together and that there's so many of us and of others that are guests that want to be a part of that. I think about the, the old fellow who didn't like company and his wife invited a lot of company over to their house and uh, he was sitting there in the living room and some of the company was standing around and she came out of the kitchen and realized what was happening. She looked at him, she said, well honey, it, it looks like we don't have enough chairs for our guests. And he, with a grouchy tone, said, Oh, we've got all the chairs we need. We just have too many guests. Well, we want you to know that uh, our problem is just we don't have enough chairs. We are thankful that the guests are here. We're thankful that the members are here on Sunday evening. And, uh, and getting more chairs is no problem. We're glad to do that, and we're thankful to do that, and we want to encourage you to come on back. We do want to be praying for the Morris family. Uh, Betty's funeral will be this afternoon. And let's continue uh, to pray for Joe and Hardy and their family and support them during this time. We've been studying the topic of love. Love is so easy to misunderstand. So oftentimes we, we speak in, in just a general sense of our population we speak about love as if it's easy. Well, just love them. Just do the loving thing. But when we look in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we find out that there's not really a lot that's easy about love, but it's good and it's best. And so we've been challenged as we're studying through this to really evaluate our life and make sure that we truly are each day doing the loving things that God has defined for us to do in this great study. 
I'm mindful of the old cowboy that rode into town, tied his horse up, left for a little while. When he came back, his horse was painted red. Oh, he was mad, really mad. And so he began poking his finger in men's chest around his horse saying, who did this? And finally, one guy confessed. He said, I saw him. He's a blacksmith. He's not wearing a hat. He's wearing a vest. He just went in the hardware store over there. That cowboy slung open the hardware store door and he, he announced to the whole store, he said, somebody's painting my horse and I want to know right now who did it. And raising up from behind his shelf, a blacksmith was about 6'5", his arms as big as, as post. And with a, a voice as rough as barbed wire, he said, I did it. And that cowboy in his time of rage had a moment of sanity when he said, I just want you to know the first coat's dry. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about love. And we're going to talk about the wisdom that love has, even though it's not always easy. The first thing that we see when we study about this love is we notice the fact that they're all verbs. Now, we notice that better in the Greek, actually, but in the Greek, they're all verbs. They're things that we do. And when we think about the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, we summarize it in this way, that life without love equals nothing. And then we begin to look at these 15 descriptions where he tells us the way we will act because they're verbs, what we will do if we truly love. And the first one was that love suffers long. It's not monkey see, monkey do. It's, hey, if, if I am hurt, I'm going to pause and I'm going to think about what is love. God, what would you want me to do at this time? Not seek vengeance. Instead, practice a merciful kindness back to offer them what they need at this time in their life. Second, we saw that, or third, we saw that love does not envy. Love actually learns to make decisions to celebrate with those that have good things happening in their life. Next, we learn that it does not parade itself. It does not find value or worth in their life trying to make other people envious of them. And in that, it goes right along with the next one is not puffed up. This idea of arrogance literally blinds us. Arrogance blinds us to see God for who he really is. It blinds us to see others so that we can truly have interest in them. It even blinds us to sin so that we don't even realize the sins that we're involved in. But then we look last week at the fact that love is not rude. Love will stop and consider what I'm doing right now, how does it impact the people around me? Rudeness does not do that. Rudeness shrugs its shoulder and says, I don't care. I paid money to be here. I'll do whatever I want to do. It's my house. It's my lawn. I'll do whatever I want to do. It's my cubicle at work. It's my work area at work. I'll do whatever I want to do. It's my living room. It's my chair. It's my TV. I'll do whatever I want to do. And love says, no, I want to always consider how does my behavior impact the people around us? Now that ties in directly with where we'll begin this morning. And if you have your Bible open there, you see in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter and verse 5, what we're seeking to do is paint a picture of Jesus here in our life, where our life would look like Jesus' life. And look there in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 13 and 5. We see at the beginning, it does not behave rudely. We looked at that last week. And now, does not seek its own. 
You know, it's interesting when we think about seeking its own, perhaps one of the best living examples we have of that is a baby. We expect a baby to seek its own. Can you imagine a baby lying in a crib about to cry early in the morning and then pausing and thinking, mother and father may not be awake yet. I think I'll just pause and wait for a while. Of course we don't expect that. And that's why when adults act in a self-seeking way, oftentimes their immaturity is described by others saying they're just acting like a baby. They really are just acting like a baby. But the way God would describe it is you're seeking your own way. Now in that, I want you to note that it's easy to talk about it and I guess in a sense, it's even easy to understand it, as we've already pointed out this morning. The difficulty is in applying it. Look with me, if you will. Turn over to Matthew, the 20th chapter. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, we have a, st a study of Jesus where the sons of Zebedee's mother approaches Jesus. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, even though the verses we're going to read, he never tells them with the words, you are seeking your own or you are selfish. But yet that is the story all through these verses that we're about to look at. Look at Matthew 20 and verse 20. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. Now can you imagine this? She's approaching God on earth. She's approaching Jesus. What is she going to ask? Is it going to be something to help save a soul? Is it going to be something to help do good for someone else? And say sometime in our misunderstanding, someone would say, oh yeah, she's trying to do something real good for her sons, but actually it was a very selfish move on behalf of her family. And here's her question in 21. He said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now, when we skip down to 24, he talks to them about, you probably don't realize what you're asking, but for this lesson's sake, let's skip down to verse 24. When the 10 heard it, see, they, that was two of the apostles. When the other 10 apostles heard this, listen to the discord. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, he's going to take advantage of this opportunity to teach them about what selfless leadership would look like. Now, we'll go ahead. You see it, and we'll come back and talk about it, but I want you to be noticing this. The way the world, and here Jesus is going to use the term Gentile, we maybe sometime would use the word heathen, but probably the way we would understand it the best and, and the words we use today in religion is the world. The way the world views leadership is very, very different from kingdom living. The way leadership is designed and taught by Jesus is selfless. And it is really amazing the difference. And so this is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to take this opportunity where probably this woman did not fully understand what Jesus was going to teach about selfless type of leadership. And he's going to take this opportunity to teach it. And let's, let's continue reading here. <clears throat> Verse 25. Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, here's his example, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet, here's the transition. 
Yet it shall not be so among you. But whosoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And now here is their and our example. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, her idea of leadership was wrong. Her idea was, I want to see if I can get my sons in important positions. And that created discord. The other ten looked at it and said, I don't like where this is going. That family is acting like they're more important than the rest of us. Is Jesus going to allow this to happen? And instead, Jesus says, let me give you an example of how you've probably seen leadership throughout your life. And he gives three classes there of the Gentiles. He says, you've seen that there are those that are Gentiles that have rulers over them. So we have rulers over a class of common people. And then he says, and then there are those who, with great authority, they exercise lordship even over the rulers. And notice he says, they lord over. You see, so oftentimes people look at their position of leadership as those of you that are under me should be focusing on me, the leader. What you do should be for me. What you do should make my life better. What you do should make my life easier. I want everything that I do to be about me, and I want everything you do to be about me. And here Jesus says, wait a minute. Don't you realize that in the way we are going to do leadership in this kingdom on earth, do you see there in 26, if you want to become great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be a slave. I believe that Jesus is not saying here, I want you to set out on this selfish ambition of greatness and really to achieve that selfish ambition, you've got to do something twisted and look like a servant. No, I think he's saying in your place, of, he's talking to the apostles, in your place of leadership, you want to do something great for the kingdom? You want to do something great with the influence and the position that you have? Become a servant in that great position. You want to be in a place that's first? In other words, if we think of priority, who has the highest rank, if you will? He says, so you've been given that place of, of first. Now make sure you realize that it's your place in that high position to come down and to be like a slave. And then Jesus says, let me give you an example. I've already given an example to the Gentiles. That's not the way to do it. Let me give you an example of how to do it. I came to this earth, and what he's implying is, I'm the greatest and the first, the highest in rank. And he says, look at me. I didn't come for all of you to serve me. They lived about him on a daily basis. Think about it. They never saw Jesus invite them to be his apostles so that when they go into a town, he would, they would wait on him. They would make his life just really easy. And so see, it's so easy for these words to flow out of his mouth, for them to understand it hopefully, because they've seen it lived out. And so he's looking at them and he's saying, don't you realize, our whole relationship as I have led you 
You have never been in this place of submission under me so that you could serve me, so that I could look better, so that my life would be easier. And then he takes it a big step further. He says, the truth is, I've come to serve you. And if you want to know to what degree I'm willing to serve you, he says, I will give my life as a ransom for you. I will serve you not just with my actions. I will serve you when you see me on the cross. Do you realize that the cross is the greatest portrait of what we're studying this morning when it says that love does not seek its own? What is Jesus on the cross? It's the greatest example we've ever had where love did not seek its own. But he truly did for us because he was seeking our best interest. With that in mind, let's turn to Philippians, the second chapter. And I want you to just see this phrase in Philippians 2 that he closes with in verse 4 because I think this is a great application. You know, sometimes we study a principle and we say, I just don't know how to apply that principle in my life. Well, here's a good way to apply this idea of not seeking our own. In Philippians 2 and verse 1, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ. Now that's interesting. If we're going to live our life in Christ, he's going to talk about this. If there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy, be like-minded. Now notice he's going to talk about the mind and the love. Be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So this life in Christ, he's saying all those that have been called out of the world and they've been called to live this kingdom living, there's something about their mind. They're not going to think and operate like the flesh and like the heathens would. Their mind is going to be what? The mind of Christ. The way they love. Their love is not going to be based upon this emotion and whatever I feel and whatever drives my immediate gratification their love is going to be based upon, it is an action. I'm going to learn the will of God and decide to do that to practice love toward others. So how does this look? Remember, what we're studying here out of 1 Corinthians 13 is love does not seek its own. And we're studying now in Philippians 2 about Paul using Jesus as an example. And so notice the teaching in 3 and, and he's already talked about the mind and the love of Christ back in 1 and 2. So notice in 3 and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. That's what we're studying this morning. He just uses different words. You don't seek your own. You don't do things through selfish ambition or conceit. Those go hand in hand. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So what does that look like? It's, it's wonderful to say I'm sincere that I want to be humble. And when I view others, I want to view others and esteem them and lift them up. But what does that look like on a daily basis lived out? And I think verse 4, it's not that it, it describes everything, but it gives us some tremendous insight. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of of others. That's powerful. When we think about what interests you, 
And the next time you have any interaction with other people, will your conversation only be about what interests you? Or will you humble yourself and without selfish ambition, will you have a genuine interest in what interests others? Guys, when the football game's on, that's probably a strong interest of yours. But when the three-year-old comes toddling across the floor, that's probably not a strong interest of theirs. Now it's gotten really hard, this topic of love. Because it's in the fourth quarter, late in the game, and love does not seek its own. That's difficult. If you're not a football fan, you may not realize it is, but that's difficult. And whatever it is in your life, what is it that, that you have interest in? And notice, it's not a sin. It's not even close to being wrong, perhaps, unless it's something immoral that you have interest in. It's not a sin that you have interest in it. The question is, while you have interest in that, can you also discipline yourself to have interest in other people's interests simultaneously? And that's when it is hard, but God makes no apology, and he says, you can either practice love at that time or not. The choice is yours. That's what love is. It's a choice. You get to make the decision. Love does not seek its own. In other words, it doesn't mean that you don't have any interest, you don't have anything that you're passionate about. It means that you do not let your own interest trump everybody else's interest that is in your life. You see people that go overboard with, and you just fill in the blank, with a career, with hobbies, with, with whatever they love to do. You say, oh, they're, they're just really wrapped up in that. Or let's be honest. Or is it they just don't love other people? the way God has taught us to love. Because if we really do love other people, that love is going to be seen that even though we may be very passionate about something, we share in a passion for others also. So the root of so many problems in our life is that we seek our own. Let's go to 1 Corinthians verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, I'm sorry, verse 5. Notice we've studied that it does not seek its own, but also it is not provoked. This is a tough one. It's the idea of I will not be easily irritated. We should be angry at certain things. We should be angry at sin. But there are a lot of things that we should not be angry in the sense that we have become provoked and it has caused us to do and say things that are sinful. And that's what we're talking about here. Love is a verb. We're not going to do things that are sinful and then simply say, well, it's because I was angry. Now, I want you to notice how these two tie together. If there are things that you are selfish in, think about it, if things that we just talked about that love does not seek its own. So if there are things that is very important to you, and then you feel like, and you've become very selfish about this, now it's different if you're not practicing uh, selfishness, but if you become very selfish about it, then all of a sudden somebody comes along and they infringe upon what you have become selfish about that's so important to you, what's your next reaction? Your next reaction is, 
I am highly irritated at this time. All right, let's, let's, I'll just step on my toes a lot and then you figure out how to apply it to your life. All right, there's a certain way that we know that's the right way to drive on the road. And it's the way I drive. And so I have an interest in that. I have a strong interest in that. And if I'm running late somewhere, I have even a stronger interest in it. I'm not trying to be cute. It's a fact. I have a very strong interest. Now, what if I run into someone that because of the way they're driving, their interest in driving infringes upon mine? See, now that has created an opportunity for me to be irritable. You see, whatever is a strong interest to you, if you become selfish about it, it creates the opportunity for you immediately to become angry if anyone infringes it. So let's go back to watching football. It's the fourth quarter. And you become selfish about it. It's not just you love football. You become selfish. And your little three-year-old toddles by. Now you become angry. And now you snap at your three-year-old. And your three-year-old says, later, I don't like football. Why don't you like football? Because daddy always yells at me. He gets angry during football. Why is he angry? Because he's selfish about it. And the selfishness bled over to, you interrupt me during what I count as important and I am selfish about it. I'm going to let you know. See how that works? It's good for us to have things that are important to us. Zebedee's wife, her children were important to her. But she did the wrong thing with that importance, saying, hey, I want you to place them at your right and left hand. There are things that are important to us, but let's not become selfish so that then we become irritable. And then that irritation comes out in angry responses that God said is sin. Ephesians, the fourth chapter and verse 26, be angry and do not sin. In other words, we can't use anger as an excuse. Look at verse 27 where he says, nor give place to the devil. When we're angry, we're inviting Satan in. Look at James 1 and 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. See, that's where I genuinely have interest in you. I want to hear you. I want to understand you. This is deep. This isn't just surface stuff. Notice the second thing. Slow to speak. I'm going to be humble. You don't have to know everything that I'm thinking. I want to know what you're thinking. And what's that going to do? That's going to create the third one. Slow to wrath. But look at verse 20. If any of us needs consolation, if we need admonishing on this, let verse 20 resonate in our mind. Underline this. Think about this this week. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Isn't that powerful? The times you and I selfishly outburst, God says, just know, you didn't produce anything that looked like God's righteousness just then. Man's wrath can't produce God's righteousness. What I learned today. Number one, godly leaders serve others because they do not seek their own. That's the motive of love. Number two, the one who does not seek their own has genuine interest in others' interest. That is love. Society usually accepts excuses for being easily provoked. That isn't love. I should ask myself, in what ways have I been thinking lately that others need to be more like me? Now I need to think this. That is my potential area in which I might be easily provoked. 
this morning. How will you live this this week? Will you really be honest with yourself and evaluate where you have some things that's real important to you that the truth is you've allowed them to not only become important, but you've allowed them to become selfishly important? Where you really think your way about it is better than other people's way? Just know that that's wrong within itself. But what it's going to lead to is that any time somebody crosses that or they infringe on that or they put you out in that area, you're going to get angry. And that's just the opportunity to sin again. Love, love really does begin with a decision that says, I want to see myself in a lowly mind and I want to see you esteemed. That's going to help me have the right priority and the right response when we see things differently. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He was so unselfish. And when He had all the opportunities to be angry, He wasn't. This morning, is there anything we can do to help you take steps closer to God? We're all on this journey together. None of us are perfect. It's only by the grace and the mercy of God that we have the opportunity to be on this journey. But it's serious. It's serious. Our soul is at stake. And so we want to take it serious. And we want to love the opportunity to encourage each other. We want to love the opportunity to walk together. But we want to take serious the opportunity to live for the Lord. And to love as he teaches us to love. And if you've never been baptized into Christ, or if you need to be restored this morning,